Wonderful. Thank you for that. It really is good to be home. And uh, it's been a fruitful couple of weeks. It's been, been, uh, been a bit of a, a busy time in the ministry. Just I was able to, to preach at a youth camp in Sydney and just saw some, some wonderful things there. And a couple of young people, they got saved. And it's always worth it when you, when you see that. And then over in, in Thailand, again, just uh, different things happening and uh, preached at, uh, at a church opening. Brother Udom uh, preached, uh, sorry, opened a, a church over in his hometown in Isan, which is a different uh, area of Thailand, to the Shemishes. Then headed back to Nakhon preached there as well. And then up north, we drove uh, seven hours up north to Chiang Mai and and had a couple of meetings there. And then throughout the course of that, people were getting saved. And so praise the Lord for that. And that's a good thing. The gospel still works, right? And we're glad that we can still take part in the work. One of the, uh, one of the things that happened, obviously some of you already know, that uh, Brother Dio, one of the faithful men on staff with Brother Shemish, was in a really horrific car accident. And um, really words can't describe the, just the, the accident, it was really bad. And, um, and so we were fearful, we were already two hours into our drive to Chiang Mai when we got a phone call from, from over there that he had been involved and you know, pretty much immediately we sent out a couple of texts to say, please pray. And, uh, and I know many of you did, so I wanna thank you for that because it just is a miracle. He just really, no, no broken bone, no internal damage just bruising from the seatbelt, and um, an amazing, amazing escape. But um, just continue to pray for he and his, his wife, F, and they're just um, obviously just still in the recovery trail there, but appreciate the church's prayers. Um, I was traveling with a couple of, a couple of guys from, from Faith Baptist, and one of them asked me, you know, what's, what's it like? when you travel and you preach and, and all of that. And he said, you know, you, all the different pulpits that you're, you're at. And I'll tell you what, you know, it, it is a great privilege. But I always go knowing that I go because I'm the pastor of Good Shepherd Baptist Church. And I told him the greatest privilege, and I'll tell you because I've come back and you just re, you realize things, the greatest privilege that I have is just preaching at this pulpit right here. And I want you to know that. You know, I came off the plane on, um, on, I don't know what day it was, Thursday, Friday. No, it was Thursday. No, it was Friday. My wife and I were just having a, she's always right, by the way. But um, <laughs> it was Friday, and I came, I honestly felt like I came running off that plane. I was ready to come back, and, and it's been a good, good start to the year. But I know we've got, uh, I know that the Lord has some great things for us this year, and I'm looking forward to it. And so let's open our Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 4. And uh, if you do notice, not that I want to draw any more attention to myself, I'm not wearing, I I didn't color my nail, all right? So it's actually bruised. I shut shut the Ford Ranger door on it last week, just before I was about to preach. And we're running a little late. We had to get there. And one of the kids, actually, uh, Brother O's um, little boy, Sean, he, uh, he saw me, and he was doing the, the Thai thing, and called him, Ajahn, Ajahn, that means pastor. 
And uh, I went to turn and said hello to him. And, you know, you just automatically, you just shut the door. But automatically, I didn't remove my hand. <laughs> and so my, my thumb got stuck there. The door click closed. And then I looked at it, and I said, oh. And I opened the door again. So <laughs> and then straight into the church, I stood a bit and then preached. And, you know, that's just part of it. But anyway, so just so you know, I didn't color my thumb. All right, I, I, don't, I don't do that. So, um, so just in case you're worried, what happened to Pastor? He went to Thailand, he's coloring his nails now. That's what happened, all right? So <laughs> Exodus chapter 4, this, uh, this morning, and glad that uh, for the reading of God's Word, and um, we're probably familiar with, the, with Moses. You think about Moses and, and all of that he accomplished for God. And you, you, you marvel at this man who led God's people through the wilderness, rescued them out of Egypt, and certainly very much so was the deliverer. And we see all of that. We see that uh, oftentimes the, the New Testament refers to him as someone that we could look to as someone who was full of faith. And yet there were moments like this that we read about it really early on in Moses' journey with the Lord where it wasn't quite what we see in the New Testament. And actually where we read just then was, a, was towards the end of the conversation between Moses and God. And Moses was not where he imagined himself to be. Moses was now in a place where he was in the backside of the wilderness. He found, finds himself looking after the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. And yet when you read about the beginnings of Moses' life, you understand that from very early on, God had a special plan for Moses. You understand that he was born into a time when his people were being greatly uh, greatly persecuted, and, and not just to the level of discomfort, but to a level where those, those infants born in that, uh, that, that era of time in Egypt were being killed and destroyed. And yet his, his mother, Jochebed, understood the, 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 the calling perhaps on Moses' life, and there she puts together a, a little ark, she, she puts some pitch on it to waterproof it, and, and by faith, Jochebed puts Moses in a little reeded basket, a little ark, down the river Nile. Unknown to her that what would really transpire in, in Moses' life, whether he'd even lived through that, but the risk of it was, was better than the, the guarantee that he's going to be found and killed. And so already from that, we see that there was an element of faith in, in Moses' parents' lives. We see that he travels down the Nile, and as, as God directs that little basket and that little boy, he's found in the reeds, and, and it wasn't just anyone, it was the daughter of Pharaoh. And of any place where he could have landed, he landed right there, and she finds him, and, and we know that his, his sister Miriam was following along, trying to see what was going to take place, and, and, and good thing this little boy, Moses, what was found by the daughter of Pharaoh, and good thing that Moses was a good-looking kid. And so she picks up this little Hebrew baby and looks at him, calls his name Moses because he was from the, the water, 
and says, you know, I'm going to take this one. And miraculously, his life is saved. And then even more than that, think about this. Miriam is around the corner and, and the, the daughter of Pharaoh says, is there anyone, any of the Hebrew women that can look after this child? And Miriam's faithfully followed after and so she pipes up and says, hey, I have the perfect lady. It was his own mother. And right there, can you imagine the, the turning of events already in Moses' life? All because... It was just God's will that he was going to be the deliverer of Israel. And you imagine God in his wisdom and God in his sovereignty worked it out that Moses would be in the palace of the Pharaoh, going up there to be the rescuer of his people Israel. What a setup. I mean, you think about all that could have transpired and all how God could have done that. And yet God, in his faithfulness to fulfill his promise to his people, preserves this life of a little boy. And then, to top it all off, he grows in the place of great influence in that land. Now, you can think about that, and you can think about the great opportunity that Moses had to indeed fulfill the promise of his life. He had everything all set up for him. It was all set up by God. And yet what we read later on in the story as the, the Bible unfolds in, in chapter 2, verse 11, if you go there with me. So some time has now passed and it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown. So you think about the context. He'd grown in Egypt. He was raised by his mother who no doubt told him all of the things that God had prepared for him. But he grew up as a prince of Egypt, someone with great influence, someone who had the position, someone who had the authority, someone who had some power in that land. And, and no doubt you could think about, wow, look what God has done. And yet Moses, he's grown now. In his own hand, he's got his own, his own destiny. He's got his own abilities. And now he's got his own decisions to make. And Moses goes down and he went out unto his brethren. So he understood where his background was and looked on their burdens. He, he spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he goes around, he's visiting his brethren, he's looking at the, their plight, uh, perhaps just observing what was going to happen. And this particular thing was happening. There, there was a, an altercation. One of the Egyptian guards was smiting in Hebrew. And so this one was, was being uh, physically hurt, physically harmed. And notice in verse 12, he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Thinking, you know what, I, I've gotten away with it. Thinking that, you know, I've, I've done my bit to rescue my people. I've, I, I've rescued one. I've done, I'm on my way. I've done what I'm supposed to do. And he was a bit of a vigilante. He looked at the situation and said, you know, I'm going to take in my own hands this thing that I'm supposed to do. I'm going to do this thing that I'm called to do. And I'm going to, I'm going to be the justice that this Egyptian will face today. 
And so he buries him in the sand. But then the next day, notice this in verse 13, when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? You know, the, the Hebrews were around and, and maybe he looked around and he, didn't, he was really looking for another Egyptian God. There was no other Egyptian God. He thought he was in the clear. He thought his people would understand that this was actually part of what he's supposed to do is rescue them. And yet he comes back the next day and it wasn't as if they were patting him on the back. It wasn't as if they understood why Moses did that. No, they, they looked at him not as a Hebrew. They looked at him as an Egyptian. They looked at him as one of them. And he said, you know, wherefore smitest thou, thy fellow? He says, are you going to do this to us? Are you someone that we should be feeling threatened by? And he finds himself at a crossroads. In verse 14, he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? He said, intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And notice how the tables have turned. Notice how Moses thought that he was doing what he was supposed to do. And yet, what it is, it's become an abject failure. The things have turned. And what we find, Moses fears and said, surely this thing is known. And it was known. Because then in verse 15, we know now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. We don't know if there was any kind of, uh, any kind of judicial system that he could have appealed to. But what we did know was, it was Moses was knowledgeable enough to understand that the consequence of this failure was for him to be slain, was for him to pay the ultimate price of his life. And that all of that, the, the potential, all of what God has set up in his life was no longer now, it seemed, on the table. His, his own life was in danger. So what we find is Moses flees and he goes away and now we find him in the backside of the wilderness so far away from all that potential. So far away from all of what he thought would be. So far away from what he thought God had put in his hand. So far away from what he thought he would be. And, and he finds himself dealing with such failure. And when you read through where we're at in this story, we see that God reaches out to Moses though. And after 40 years of, of just being in the wilderness, now he's got his own family. He, he was worlds away from the palaces of Egypt. Now he was in the backside of the wilderness. He was roughing it in the tents. He, he was now working with his own hands and he finds himself now a shepherd. He finds himself just probably on a typical day just wandering about, trying to look for those sheep that had gone astray. And as Moses climbed every little step of that mountain and as he looked through every crevice, he, he perhaps heard here and there a little, uh, a, a little barring of the sheep, a little noise here and a little noise there. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, as Moses was just going about his typical day, this, this burning, fiery bush comes. And out of nowhere, he looks and he sees this thing on fire. And we all do that, don't we? You know, when something's on fire, we, we, that gets our attention, doesn't it? And so we see this happening and Moses looks and, and God gets his attention and God speaks to Moses again about his call. 
And yet, what we find is a very different Moses. What we find in Moses is that he starts to doubt. He starts to question why God would even use him. And he starts to go down the path of of dialogue with God that indicates to us that actually his confidence was shattered. And wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you be if everything that you needed, everything was placed in your hand and everything that you, 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 uh, your future held was actually within your gr- grip? And yet we find in Moses that that failure robbed him, it seemed, of everything that God had intended for him. And here comes God again after 40 years. And now... God, you want me to do that now? You know, I mean, you, you could have just intervened before, but you want me to do it now? And, and what we find is Moses' confidence was in crisis. And Moses' confidence now in, in what, what he, he believed with probably great conviction, I mean, you would have to have some conviction if you would go all the way and, 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 and kill a man in order for you to fulfill your calling. He had absolute conviction all those years ago. But suddenly we find him, suddenly we find him doubting. Suddenly we find him and his confidence is in crisis. And you know, in in some degree, and to some, to many of us, we could relate in a little way. You know, many times as we start the year, and perhaps you can reflect back to last year at around this time, you, you had some goals, you had some things that you felt like God was leading you to, and, and everything it seemed, God had set it up, God had put it in your hand to do. And how often is it that we can look back and reflect, and rather than looking at a year of perhaps great success, How often, much more often is it that we can look back at a year of sometimes failure? Times where we knew we should have done better. Times where we knew we we had everything in our hand to do, and yet here we are, seemingly empty-handed. All of those goals, all of those well-laid plans, all of those things that we had hoped to accomplish, it came down to us, we just failed. And I know many times that's, that's been the case in, in, in my life. I, I often the habit in my life is to look back and to think about what better I could have done. I was just, again, we were just chatting as I've gotten back. We've, I've had a time of reflection and I thought about five things I could do better immediately that I just needed to address. And, you know, we're geared towards that. We're geared at times to, uh, to allow our failures and allow those things that, uh, that, that seem to have been in our hands and now aren't and now are gone to suddenly drive our confidence from where it was to right down to where it is now. And suddenly we're, we're a little, little bit less confident to, to go and, and do that thing. And we, we, rather than going for that greater goal, we try to pare it back because we know we just didn't quite do it the way we should have done it. And here we go again, this syndrome of failure. You know what that does to to us? And and no doubt what what it did to Moses was this. It was a crisis of confidence. 
You know, so many times, those even with great conviction, when circumstances turn and when failure comes, suddenly find themselves just in a little bit of doubt and fear, a little bit of questioning whether they should have done that or should have done this. And it's suddenly when the opportunity arises again, like with Moses, we're hesitant to just quickly get in. And so what God does, He understands that. And God begins this dialogue that we're going to observe with Moses this morning. And I hope that that'll be a dialogue this morning for you. That perhaps there's some things you can get back to that God's going to remind you about. That that perhaps as God is opening some new ventures and new avenues this new year and you're looking at some things that are opportunities again and you're a little bit hesitant because of past failures and now some constant fears and some constant worries and there's some things that now you're a little bit twice bitten, uh, once bitten, twice shy about. You might look and go, you know what? There's something more that God has for me this year. There's something more perhaps that God would have me to do. And, and there's some reasonings that God gives, you know, even with those who don't normally perhaps even really face failure. Maybe some of you, you're, you're thinking today, well, Pastor, there hasn't been really any failure this past year. Actually, it's been a good year. And maybe you're going to face this. There's this thing called imposter syndrome. And sometimes those who, with great success and even those who have, are high achievers, there's still that nagging thought deep down in their heart that they can't really do this. That somehow failure is just around the corner. That somehow we're just a slip up away, we're just a door jam away from a finger that's been injured. And suddenly we're fearful of venturing out in faith and doing things by faith, and suddenly we're, we're, we find ourselves not where we thought we would be and wondering, does God even know I'm here? Wondering, can God ever use me again? And I think about many of you who've gone through some life-altering things this past year, some things that if you reflect back on, you would wish it would never have happened, we, you would have hoped you could have done it a different way, but you, you are where you are now. And maybe you're wondering here this morning, is this year going to be any different? Can God use me again? Can God, does God even know where I'm at? And yet what we find in Moses' life was God very much knew where Moses was at. He wasn't wondering where Moses was. He understood where Moses was. And he waited to see the process through, and now it was time. And God comes in this, this way to, to, to really get Moses' attention, and maybe this morning would be your burning bush moment, and maybe you'd allow God to speak to you again this morning, and get your attention this morning, and understand that you've gone through a process of time. You've gone through perhaps a little bit of changing. You've, you've gone through and you've mulled over and over again all of the things you could have done and you should have done. And, 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 and all of those have come to fruition. Now it's come to a head and you're wondering what. And maybe that's you this morning. And maybe today would be your burning bush moment. You know, allow God to get your attention again. See, God's response to Moses is helpful for us. As we approach another year of opportunity, but also realities that can 
if we're not careful, render our confidence shattered to pieces. And, and I want to give you some reasons why our confidence can be in crisis. You see, generally speaking, there's, there's reasons why our confidence can become low and we face sometimes a, a little sense of, you know, can God do anything with me? We see in Exodus chapter 3 as the, the, the dialogue begins. Notice with me. In verse 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. So he's approached now. He say, he, early on, he says, come close, Moses. Tells him to take off his shoes. It's holy ground. And he's now in the presence of God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. There's a bigger picture here. And, and by the way, God always has a bigger picture in mind. And there's a bigger picture for, for now God coming to Moses and now uh, getting back to Moses. And, and it was because the sorrows of God's people had become too much. It was now time for them to be delivered. And so he's telling Moses, you know, behold their cry and the cry in verse 9. The cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh. And notice Moses' response. And Moses said unto God, who am I? You know, he's asking the question, is it still me? Who am I? Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Hey, Moses, wasn't that you? Hey, Moses, wasn't that you that was miraculously rescued from the Nile River? Wasn't that you that God in his sovereignty and in his, in his wisdom and in his power had placed in the palace? Wasn't that you, Moses, that, that, that you know, in, in, in all of that God had said, wasn't that you, Moses? And now Moses is asking, who am I? And before long, Moses' whole, whole identity had been overtaken by by this, this, this reason of failure. And it was really what it was. It was a self-imposed identity crisis and confidence crisis. And you know who's, who's so good at reminding us of our failures? It's not God. It's, it's, it's our enemy, the devil. You know, he's the accuser of the brethren. You know, he's going to come at you at every failure and he's going to remind you of that. And how you deal with that, and how you deal with, 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 even if it's the reality, will be how you're going to press on for God. And what we find is, is Moses is at that stage, he's at that crisis. He's got the crisis of confidence. He says, who am I? He's asking, what, what can I offer? And many of you, that's what you're asking. And in 1 John 3, 20, the Bible says, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. You know, we're, we're so easy. We have less grace for ourselves than God has grace for us. And we're so easy to, so easy to, to be condemning of ourselves and to allow the whispers of Satan to, to, to infest our thinking and infest the reality of where we stand in Christ, then we can suddenly find ourselves with the reality of this. Our confidence is shattered because of just our failure. We've failed. 
And I don't think any of us here could, could honestly say that we've never failed. We've all failed at some point. We've failed in different areas of our lives. And there have been times, to be perfectly honest this morning, that we've all failed. And the reality is we are fallen creatures. We live in this world that is imperfect. We live in a place where if failure could happen, it will happen. And there are times where we've got to just, just deal with that. And understand it. But Moses goes into that. and We see that he's still focusing on that because he goes and he says, how can I go before Pharaoh? Now, we didn't read it earlier, but we, we read that he was afraid of Pharaoh's face. He had become afraid of the consequences of his failure. And we understand that this was very real. We understand that often as, as connected with failure is the consequences of our failure. That there are real consequences. And, and I want to tell you that there's a, false, there's a false thinking that God somehow has to rescue us from every consequence of our failure. You know, sometimes the consequences of our failure is what we need for the change that needs to happen in our lives. And sometimes God in His wisdom understands that and allows us to go through the consequences. And yet, that's never the end for the child of God. You see, he, he, he had the failure as a reason for his confidence to be in crisis. You see, also, we, we note there, look at chapter 4, verse 1 in our reading from this morning. So God continues this dialogue, and he's giving, giving Moses reasons, which we'll look at in a little while. But in verse 1, look at Moses' another reason for his confidence being shattered. It says, Moses says this, Behold, they will not believe me. Nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Go back, we read it earlier. Who was the accuser? It was his own brethren. It was his own brethren who should have maybe understood, maybe thought that, could have thought he was some sort of champion of theirs, but they understood. He understood that they were fickle. He understood that people don't always understand. He understood that sometimes, even in our good intentions, they can be misread and misrepresented. And, and those kind of things, they're just part and parcel. And sometimes the thing that shatters our confidence is simply, simply this, the fickleness of people. You know, people are fickle. You could, be, you could be right here one day, and you could be right here the next day. And I, you, you've got to understand that. And, and sometimes we can go about, and even if we're, our intentions are good and right, sometimes just the reality is the fickleness of people means that you're not always going to be the rooster. You might be the fried chicken the next day. <laughs> and you might just be the one that people look down upon, and, and you might remember all of the things that you thought, but now it's no longer. Everyone's just thinking, well, who are you? And you know, I think sometimes that's what discourages a lot of those who go out to try to serve. A lot of those who try and, and their, their value sometimes can be aligned to the fickleness of people. And what we find is, is Moses was really, that's what he was asking about. 
But then he goes on and look at verse 10, chapter 4, verse 10. Look at another reason Moses gives why his confidence was shattered. He said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Now I'm not sure that's exactly true of Moses, but that's how he felt. He, he felt like he, he was inadequate in many ways. And I want to say it this way. Sometimes the thing that causes us to be lacking in confidence is this. We have flaws. Hey, everyone here has flaws. You know, all of us here, we can hope to have this Photoshopped life. You know, I, when I first started in the ministry, one of, my, one of my jobs was to learn Photoshop. I was in charge of graphics. Now, if you've seen my graphic work, you know that I was just a Band-Aid solution, all right? But, but I learned that program a little bit. And I remember one of my favorite pro parts of that was the, I think it was the makeup tool. And what it was, any, any blemish on your face, I could fix that for a price, all right? <laughs> and and you, you could see sometimes we look at the glossy advertisements of the world. We can look at the Instagrammable moment and we think, wow, their life has no flaw. But the reality of the human condition is we all have limitations. We're all flawed. There's things we can, but there's things we can't do. There's things that, that we're, we're inadequate in that we know and we understand. There's some things that it gets revealed to us. And that we have flaws. And if you approach life and approach God's calling on your life just focusing on your flaws, then you know what's going to happen? You'll never get to where you need to get. And here Moses, again, he's arguing almost with God. He's saying, I, I can't even, I, I'm not a good speaker. You want me to go and tell, you want me to go into Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go? You, you want me to give speeches and try to inspire a nation that's been under oppression? I can't do that. I've got flaws. Don't you understand, God? And you know God's response. Who made tongue? <laughs> Who made your tongue is what he was saying. You know, he, got, he made every tongue. And so if you're slow of speech and if you're that way, then I made you that way, Moses. And that doesn't hinder God. And really overall, what had happened to Moses was he was, he was a place of fear. He had grown comfortable in his new situation and it was a place of fear. And let me tell you that when you're in a place of fear, that, that's a prison in itself. See, the Bible tells us God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of a love and of a sound mind. Hey, listen, if you're going to approach a time and you're going to admit to yourself and you're going to see in yourself that you're approaching that time with fear, stop. That's not of God. God hath not given us a spirit of fear. And so if you're coming with fear, that's not of God. You better stop. And you better come to God. And you better come to a place of realization that that's not God. There's natural fears, I understand. There's some things that God has built into us that is, but, but the, the, the fear that I'm speaking about is just a, a holding fear. It's a spirit of fear. And you better stop. Because that's not of God. And what we find is, is, is Moses was in a place really of fear, but God was working through that. And, and notice now God's response. You see, 
What, what Moses had done, he had forgotten. He had forgotten who he was. And many times when we go through failure, we forget who we are. And we forget that we stand, if you're saved here this morning, we stand as accepted in the beloved. We stand with, with the reality of our standing with God. And, and I understand that there's, perhaps you've gone through some heartbreaking consequences and there's, there are some realities in your life right now that you're dealing with and, and there's nothing really at the moment except for time to process for that to be all made and put back into place. But I want to tell you that God has not forgotten who you are. And God didn't forget where Moses was. And, and Moses, God's response to Moses, notice in chapter 3. Remember the question that Moses asked? He said, who am I? And you know, God doesn't directly answer that. Look at how God responds to that. He says in verse 12, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. Saying God, God saying, I'm going to be with you, Moses. And Moses, he was a little stubborn. He, he continues, Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And what shall they say to me? What is his name? And notice God's response to who am I? God said unto Moses, I am. I am that I am. You know, he's saying to Moses, Moses, stop thinking about you. Stop thinking about all of your failure. Stop thinking about all of your flaws. Stop thinking about all the fickleness of people. Stop thinking about how fearful this must be. He's saying, don't think about who you are. Think about who I am. You know, many times when we go through a crisis of confidence, what God wants us to do is to place ourselves in the context of who he is. He's trying to move our thinking about our failures and our flaws, and he's trying to move it to our thinking of who God is. And some of us here this morning needs to just get back to the great I am and need to get back to that one who, who, who looks at our failures and looks at our imperfection and looks at our brokenness in sin, and he says, I can do something about that. And he can rescue us from our sin, and he can rescue us from our failures, and he can look at our flaws and actually cause them to be great strengths. And he reminds Moses that his confidence shouldn't be on himself. His confidence needs to be in God. You know, many here... God has to, at times, bring us through a place of re reduction because our, our view of self is too inflated. We are too confident in ourselves. And, and maybe Moses, in some way, was too confident in himself. He was too confident in his position. He was too confident in his power. He was too confident in the things that he had seemingly in his hand and God had to take him through and show him that Moses actually you're a failure and Moses actually all of those things that I laid out for you you took in your own hand and you took in your own power and what did that bring you Moses it brought you to the backside of the wilderness and now Moses it's not who you are it's who I am that matters 
many times as we approach even new seasons of our lives. Those self-doubts, those fears causes a crushing of our confidence and, and what that indicates so often is, is really a lack of awareness that, that actually it was never about our situation. It was never about all that was laid out. It was all about what God can do. It was always about that. And we see that God reminds Moses of his might. He reminds Moses that he is the great I am. And that I am, in capital letters, sent, sent him. He reminds Moses that his confidence needs to be in God's might. That his confidence needs to be not in his own strength, but in God's strength. He, he reminds Moses that actually your confidence needs to be in God's equipping. In chapter 4, we see this whole dialogue continue in verse 2. And the Lord said unto, unto him, what is in, that, in thine hand? He said a rod. You know what a rod is? It's just a stick. <laughs> you think about that. You think about the fact that in contrast, Moses was now a shepherd. Now the Bible's very careful to tell us that shepherds were very much despised in Egypt. It was a very lowly position. So if you'd like to picture it, Moses was right up here as a prince growing up in the palace, part of the royal court. And now Moses finds himself in the most despised thing than the thing that he grew up in. He went from top of the top to the bottom of the bottom. And we find Moses there. And Moses is reminded again of God, of, by God, what is that in thine hand? It was a rod. A rod was simply a symbol of, of a shepherd. He, that's who he was now. And Moses answers a rod. And you can imagine the contrast perhaps in Moses' mind. Probably at one point, he held up a scepter. You know, the, the image of those in the royal court in Egypt was one with a scepter. It, it was a stick as well, but this was a stick of gold. This was a stick that symbolized all of the powers of Egypt, all of the might of this nation that, that was at that point the greatest civilization that had ever been. And in contrast, God was saying, you used to have that, but now you've got a rod. But you know, it was that rod that we see Moses cast down, it turns into a serpent. He picks it back up again, it becomes a rod. It was that rod that he held up and the Red Sea was parted. It was that rod that he took into Egypt and God's power was symbolized and God's power came through and, and, and God was saying, it doesn't matter the stick. It matters my power on the man. You see, not everyone can be a prince of Egypt. God didn't ask him to gain that again. You see, sometimes we think about this in, in, in the work of God and in our families. If only I could have the, the successes and the measures of authority and the measures of successes that the world indicates I should have. And if I only had that, then I could do all those things that I, I could be a better husband, I could be a better wife, and I could be a better father, I could be a better mother, I could have a better ministry, I could do this, I could be an influence. Listen, God doesn't need that. He just needs a stick and He just needs His power on that. He just needs one that'll surrender what they had. You know, everyone here, if I asked you today, you could get a stick. 
You know what, it, what that says? God's power is available to everyone. And it was just a casting down. And God's equipping simply needs God's, uh, a man surrendering. It's not about those things that we deem are necessary. You know, there's some things that sometimes grieve, I think, the Spirit of God in, in churches today. We like to pick up business principles and we try to run churches like companies and we try to live the Christian life like some sort of expert. But God doesn't need that. He just needs someone with His equipping. He just needs someone who's reminded that it's not about you. It's about God. It's about me. I'm the great I am. You, who am I? Yes, you're right, Moses. Actually, you're no one. I need you to just get out of the way and let the great I am come. And he's saying to Moses, your confidence is in the wrong place. Your confidence needs to be on me. And he was then, he needed some confidence in God's redirection. And later on, we won't really take the time, but in verses 14 to 20, we see that, that God provides for him, Aaron. God, again, he reinforces some equipping. And by the way, that's part of God's equipping. It, he makes you belong to others. And he lets you journey with others. Hey, listen, if you're a lone ranger, that's not God's plan. <laughs> he, he needs you to belong. And so he brings him Aaron, his brother. He becomes his spokesperson. The Bible says that he will be a mouth to you and you'll be, a, you'll be like God to him. You're going to speak in my stead to Aaron who's going to speak for you. And so God gives him a redirection. He tells his father-in-law Jethro, I'm gonna, I need him to go. He leaves his family, he goes, and now he's confident in God's redirection. And maybe that's what it is in your life. Maybe there's a redirection that God would have for you, and maybe there's now a time where you've gone through the consequences, you've gone through some of that heartache, you've gone through, and now your life is that. Listen, God is not done with you. God wants to direct your life, and God wants to bring you through to what He would have planned in your life, and all you need to do is simply to surrender. And Moses, all, all he did was symbolically he cast down so that he can pick it up again. And listen, there's some realities that we need to base our confidence on, and, and uh, the, just three things and we're done. The first thing is this, the answer to our failures is God's willingness to restore. Listen, if you took a breath today, then life isn't done yet. And God wants to restore. And yes, the reality of, of failures, flaws, and fickleness, and fear, it's still there. But God wants to restore. And God wants to bring you to a place of, of, of being used again. And yet... The answer to our failures is found in God's willingness to restore. You've got to believe that. You've got to understand who God is. He's the God of many chances, not just the God of second chances. And He will, in His goodness and grace, if you'd be willing, 
If you draw nigh to him, he'll draw nigh to you. If you would allow him to use you, he will. But secondly, our insecurities, and we all have them, shouldn't dictate over God's power to get his will done. You see, Moses was full of insecurities. And he had failed from that kind of start to where he was now. Of course you're going to have insecurities. And we all do. There's not a time where I wonder how the message is going to go. There's not a time where there's a day where I, I wake up and go, oh, I don't have the goods. <laughs> and we yet, our insecurity shouldn't dictate over God's power to get his will done. There's been so many times where I just, I just knew it wasn't me. <laughs> because I knew within me I, was, I had failed that day. I, had, I hadn't spent the time with the Lord like I should have. You know, I, I honestly, I came into this, the beginning of this year, I was a little underprepared. There were some messages that I knew God had me to do for, for the camp that we just did. And, but I was underprepared. But, but there was some, God moved at that camp. Six young people got saved on the final night. Several young people came to the altar and, and weeping for their friends to get saved, confessing sin, getting things right with their friends. We had a two-hour testimony time around the fire. God moved. <sighs> he breathed, and he, you know what? I sat there. I go, it wasn't me. Because that, that night, and, you, and uh, you see it so many times, sometimes God will use you in spite of you. And God will even look at your insecurities and go, you know what, that doesn't dictate what I'm going to do with you. And you just need to surrender that to God. And then lastly, our limitations, they don't have to hinder our identity. We've just got to view them as God's choices for us. You know, the limitations that Moses went through really were consequences. And consequences are real. But you know what? God, God allows that, and that's a choice by God for you. You know, the chastening that you're going through right now, that's God's choice for you. And if you view that as God's choice for you, a God who is perfect, a God who is sovereign and all-knowing and, and full of wisdom, then he always chooses what's best. And so you've just got to view it as God's choice for you. You know, even your flaws, your flaws, you know, sometimes you wish you could be this and you wish you could be that and you wish you didn't have that and you wish you had this. But even your flaws, that's God's choice for you. You know, this, this, this morning, if maybe you're like, well, God can't use me, I'm not this way. I'm not like that person. By the way, there's a danger of comparison. But listen, you've got to just settle that that's God's choice for me. And God knows what's best. And so actually that flaw and that limitation, God's going to use that. And God can use that. And I've just got to find out. I've just got to allow God. And you know what? The, our limitations sometimes are changed circumstances. Sometimes we go through difficulties. Sometimes we go through a reducing, a reduction in our lives. 
And God is trying to simmer us down to where he can use us. And often, that's God's marring, but it's God's remaking. And sometimes God has to boil us down to the lowest of low. Because our confidence was too high on self. And God resists the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. And you know who God uses the most? Is those who are just with a contrite spirit. Those who would just be lowly. Those who would just say, Lord, I only have a rod. But here, take it. Lord, you've given me all of this. Now you take it and you use it. And too many times, our confidence needs to get removed from this. And our confidence needs to be placed on him. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the time. Lord, I just would ask that you would please just work in our hearts. Lord, we have a, a year ahead where all of us, dear God, has, by your grace and by your will, have every opportunity to make something of the year. And yet the reality is we're flawed. The reality is we have, we, we fail and we can fail again. And all of those things, dear God, we can allow, Lord, to, to just cause our confidence to go way low. And yet, Lord, really that's an indicator, dear God, that our confidence needs to be removed from us and our confidence needs to be lifted up to you. And I pray that you, Lord, you'd help us to place our confidence where it needs to be today. Help us, Lord, to be a people, Lord, who'd surrender all that we have in our hands. Lord, for your use and for your glory. Help us, dear God, we pray. The piano's gonna play. We're gonna have a time of invitation.